Welcome to Flower Hour, a podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Los Angeles. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Well, here we are on our 50th episode. Oh my gosh, Jeremiah, can you believe it? We've been talking for over 50 hours. It's amazing. (laughs) Are you sick of me yet? (laughs) That is never, will never be a possibility. (laughs) Thank goodness. Same here. Oh my gosh. Well, I think we should start where we've started so many times. What have you been baking this week? Oh, I love that question. It's such a fun question. And this week has been all about sourdough. I just taught my first sourdough class. And in preparation, I was baking loaves multiple times during the week, feeding my starter like it was the most precious child ever. (laughs) Because sometimes it gets ignored, I won't lie. (laughs) (laughs) But it was the best time. I I had such a good time teaching the class. And like we all know, the more times you repeat a recipe, just the more magic happens. The more you get to know the recipe, you learn so much more and um, and then be able to share that with other people. It was just a great time. How awesome. So in the class, did you send them home with part of your starter or did they make a starter? What What was that like? Yeah, I did give them some of my starter and mine's about six years old and they were all so sweet about it. They were so excited to receive a starter and they were like, oh my gosh, it's that old. And then I told them they all had to name them because it's a tradition. So I asked this lady next to me, so what are you, what are you going to name yours? And she kind of looked at me like, oh, I don't want to tell you. And I said, oh, you don't have to say. And she's like, I named it Jeremiah. I'm like, oh, that's so cute. (laughs) A little creepy. You're going to be hanging out in her fridge now on her counter, collecting her air. (sighs) Please feed me. (laughs) Please feed me. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. What a cute name. Oh, there's little Jeremiah out there now. Totally. So, but one thing I wanted to share with our listeners is something fun to do with the leftover starter. So as you know, every day that you feed it, you have to discard some. And this is actually inspired by you because when I started baking sourdough, it was kind of right when Tartine first introduced their first bread book. And it just said to throw that away. So in my brain, I was like, do what they say, because they are the bread gods in my mind. And so then when I was teaching you, you were like, I can't throw this away. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. We should probably figure out what what's possible to do with leftover sourdough starter. And you told, you introduced me to all these options. Like Sarah Owens has great ideas. And then I started poking around and King Arthur has great ideas. But they're all ways of using it in another recipe. And I wanted something more immediate. Like I just want to get, I want to use it now without having to go get eggs and butter and make pancakes or make biscuits. And so I found this gentleman and I'm so sorry. I don't remember who he is because I was clicking around all kinds of places. So what he does is he gets a cast iron skillet. He oils it up, gets it nice and hot. And he just pours the set leftover starter right into the pan and makes a pancake basically. And then from there you can do whatever you want. He suggests putting chopped scallions and sesame seeds and what it's like to make like kind of like um, an Asian style scallion pancake. 
and you can dip it in like, you know, sort of a soyish dip sauce. I made one yesterday where I, I cut some fresh peaches into it and some honey and cinnamon and the texture, because the flour has been denigrated a bit by, you know, the yeast working through the, the flour. So the texture is a bit kind of mochi-ish, you know, kind of like chewy Ooh. and lovely, but it has the flavor of just a really nice sourdough loaf. Um, so I'm so excited. Every day now, I almost twice a day, I've been having um, some kind of sourdough pancake with, made with loafed over starter. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. So the texture you said is a little bit like mochi, like kind yeah, of that, chewy. I love that. And so versatile that you could go sweet or savory with it. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm going to try this for sure. Okay. So is your pan super hot before you put it in there? It's like as hot you would do for pancakes. Okay. Okay. So very much just treat it like a pancake and you'll be fine. Yes. Does yeah. it puff up a lot? Like, is it, how thick is it? It will kind of, it'll be as thick as it is in the pan. It doesn't rise much more than whatever, you, however you pour it into the pan. Okay. And okay. I, I will put the lid on too, to let it kind of steam in there. And that that has seemed to help um, the center cook through really nicely. Um, but it, it definitely um, inspires creativity. It's amazing. I love that you can use it. Like you said, straight away, you don't have to then get out a whole bunch of other things and, and create this whole recipe because you don't necessarily want to make biscuits every single day. Right. Right. You know? <laughs> and then sometimes I would have to, I wouldn't have time to do something with what I had. So I collect it and store it in the refrigerator, but that starter is still working and it's, you know, it's still going through its cycle. And at the end of its cycle, it's pretty vinegary and pretty strong. So sometimes, you know, what you're left with, you're like, okay, now I can make biscuits or now I can make a cake that, you know, uses sourdough starter. You're using something that maybe the flavor profile is not exactly the right, for, right, right profile for that. So interesting. Love it. So creative. Oh, I wish I could come take your, your sourdough class. I'm sure it's a blast and so many great tidbits of knowledge like that. That's fun. You know, it's a, as you know, sourdough is, well, I mean, it's a 8 to 12, 16, 24-hour process. So to squeeze that down into two hours with some hand-on, uh, you know, hand-on participation um, was a real challenge and a puzzle, but it was a fun, I enjoy those sorts of puzzles. And I was so happy that the, the students were, 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 were happy with what they got to take home and what they learned. So, did you take multiple different loaves at just at different stages? So you could kind of like eliminate the wait times. Is that how you did it? Yes. So I had dough for everyone already ready to go. So we shaped it together. And then, then I started the process from scratch, um, talked about a starter, showed them how to feed a starter. And then I started, a, um, then I started another batch of dough, so they got to learn how to do the stretch and fold, talk about Ottilies. And so all that, that stuff I took home with me, but what they took home was their bread shaped in the Benetton basket with instructions of how to bake at home. And then I had bread that I had baked so they could eat some. And oh, thankfully, good. I had a loaf that was pretty perfection and one that was a little underproved, and I kind of shaped it a little differently. And it was really fun to cut them both. And we could talk about why one was better than the other. And I really think for learnings, oftentimes it's better to see an un imperfect example. You learn more from always seeing these perfect examples of something. It's great to know what you're aiming for, but when you can see when it goes wrong and why, I could see their eyes really like, like that was really helpful. Oh, that's so smart. I love that idea. And it's like, 
it's against the urge to show off of like, let yeah. me just take my beautiful, perfect loaves and only, you know, show them everything is wonderful in my life, but it's nice to show like one that you've done in a different way. I think that's so smart. Oh, what a great experience. Yeah, everything just kind of worked out because I didn't plan for that to happen. Of course, I was just going to take the perfect loaf. But when that loaf came out, the first one, I was like, this one isn't right. I have to do another. And so I was like, this this is great. So, well, enough about sourdough. <laughs> what have you been baking? Well, it's never enough about sourdough. I think next season, can we tease them a bit? Yes, we're going to have a major sourdough episode. Yeah, major. so never enough about sourdough. But for now, enough about sourdough. what have I been baking? I've been baking a ton of cakes. Surprise, surprise, working on the cake book. It's still killing me to be secretive. Like I want to put everything I do on Instagram, like baking wise, not my whole life, but baking wise, I just want to pop it on there. But I've been kind of holding back, but I've been making a lot of cakes, cakes that I'm really excited about. Um, it's, it's a weird process for me because making cakes for so long has been a creative outlet. And because of that, a lot of times I'm acting almost like emotionally or intuitively when I'm doing the decorating. And, and so now for the book though, I'm making sure that I'm making designs that I can then explain to people, which which teaching, you know, cause you, you've had a lot of different teaching experiences. Teaching is very different from doing, especially if you're, you're kind of in the zone, this like creative zone. And so I'm really having to break down how I make my colors. How do I get this motion onto the cake and being very conscious and intentional versus just acting intuitively. And so like thinking about with my cake scraper, I put this much frosting on the edge of it. I hold it left to right and scrape it around the cake in this way. And so uh, that's what I've been doing is sitting there like uh, paying attention to my motions, paying attention to what colors I'm using. And then of course, thinking a lot about flavor. We've been taste testing and taste testing and taste testing. And um, I was thinking about Helen Go, how she was talking about asking her husband about, you know, critiques and, and trying to get his feedback. And that's pretty much all I've been doing is torturing my family going, what do you like about this? Would you like it if it was sweeter? Would you prefer that it had more acid? Would you prefer if it was a brighter color, a dimmer color? Like, does this look festive enough? I want this mood. Is it conveying that? And so it's been cake palooza over here. <laughs> I mean, we could ha- spend a whole hour, or I'd love to spend a whole hour interviewing you about the book and what's what's it about and all that. But I know we have to, you know, keep a lot of it under wraps. But could you maybe tease? And do we do? That's another thing. I'm just going to interrupt you because I'm like I'm so confused. Like on the one hand, I want to give everyone something really fresh and new because I really honor and respect if somebody pays to buy a book. You don't want it to be something that's otherwise already available. Otherwise, why would you ask them to spend their hard earned money on something? But then on the other hand, I'm like, would it really bother me so much if I had seen a picture and heard a little bit more? I don't know. So do I have to keep it under wraps? This is, uh, you know, dear universe, please inform me. <laughs> yeah. It's an ongoing collaboration with yeah. the universe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But could you tease maybe one of the cake flavor profiles and 
are there going to be cake designs that kind of go from beginning to like advanced? Are you going to have like a showstopper where it's like all the bells and whistles? And are you going to have one that like anyone could kind of start ex- experimenting with? Uh, so, you know, it is a work in progress and there's already been changes, you know, as I go along, I go, I thought I was going to do this in this way. And then I kind of change my mind because I think something is, is better in a different way. But I, the current plan, unless I get some great idea that I go, this just has to be in there is every cake would be approachable for, I would not say a beginning baker. Like if you are a brand new baker, it's your first cake ever. I am not necessarily breaking down all the language of like creaming butter. What does that mean? But you certainly could do it. You could Google this, you know? So I would say for people who have made cakes before, and any level of skill with decorating, my goal is that you could accomplish any of the cakes. None of them are overly fussy. My idea with cake in general, and you can see this from my feed, is that it's made to be eaten. I think that's why I'm so drawn to painting right now is because sometimes I want to do something that's more intricate or fussy or or something like that. But for something that is made to be temporary, I want it to look delicious And I don't want it to be a nightmare to make because just personally, I've had too many fancy desserts that have, you know, 10 components possibly. And I would rather eat the chocolate cake. So I'm trying to approach it from that place of like, let's not make this a nightmare for people to make and then still come out with something that they're really, really proud of. And if you want to make something that lasts forever that takes a lot of time that makes sense to me. But for me, cake is going to be destroyed. So it's never going to be overly fussy. It's going to get chewed up, man. (laughs) I love that. I love that. All the respect for people who make very sculptural cakes that are super labor intense. That's just not my vein. My vein is edible, delicious while still being attractive. So I'm with you. (laughs) Okay. What about uh, some flavor profiles that you're in love with? Oh yeah. Okay. So you said flavor profiles. So they're also going to be really approachable flavor profiles. Some may sound a bit exotic, but nothing, I don't want anything that people have to special order. You should be able to go to the grocery store, get this, make it for your friends and family. So obviously there's going to be things like a lot of chocolate. There's a chocolate and mint cake that I was telling Chris the other day, I said, right now it's one of the most simple designs of all. I did share that one on Instagram with the drips, but it was so good. Like it was just so good. And if I could make that and eat it right now, I absolutely would. So there's that. And then forever ago, I fell in love with Dulce de Leche. I posted a little bit about this one as well. Um, and, and, and I like things where I have a memory attached. So for that one, the first time I tasted it was in Argentina. So I feel like, you know, really connected to that place when I taste that, that kind of caramel. And so there's a cake with dulce de leche with lemon. And it's just, it's, it's just a really delicious kind of, oh, and coconut, toasted coconut. It's the kind of cake you could eat after a taco dinner or something really casual with friends. It's a little bit of like a backyard barbecue kind of cozy cake. Uh, Let's see, there's blueberries and ginger in another cake that's really special. 
And then there's like really, really normal things, but I think just done in an interesting and modern way, but like a birthday cake filled with jam and you could switch out the jam to be whatever the birthday person's favorite jam is and then honor them with a different color of frosting. So it's all very cozy, very delicious things that you want to eat. Nothing too scary or, you know, just, just lovely things that make you happy. So smart, so clever, just, just you. I love it. I can't wait for it. Thank you. Yeah. One thing I did kind of like, I wanted to do some really interesting flavor profiles, but then, and, and they are interesting, but then the more out there I go, I tell myself I would make this once and go, that was delicious and interesting and unique but then I don't see myself making it over and over. And I'm trying to put the cakes in the book that would become a standby for somebody. So that's, that's where we're at. I love that because your cakes are, the design is so unique and so artistic. And then what you're doing is the flavors are so approachable. I think that's a cool marriage of, you know, you would look at one of your cakes and think, oh, I'm sure there's 10 layers of, you know, passion fruit and ruby chocolate and praline of this fancy nut. And you're like, no, this is the most approachable, delicious chocolate cake with jam and caram or whatever that you've ever had. I love that. I think that's really, really smart. Thank you. It's true to me. And, and that's, I feel like that's the best thing that I could, I could give and share. Yeah. Oh yeah. If I'm trying to be, and and I do this sometimes with my baking. I don't know if you ever find yourself doing this. I think you're naturally more fancy than me, but I definitely sometimes think, Oh, I should do this. It's people are going to love this. Like that thought will pop into my head. And then if it doesn't feel like me, if I don't love it, it's like, I just, I just can't like plow through it long-term. It has to be something that I don't know that, like I said, that I would make over and over again, as I'm saying this, I'm looking and there's a picture on my desktop of the sweet potato pie made this fall swirled with chai caramel. And there will yeah. be a cake version of that too. So I'm pretty excited. And that excited has turmeric that. in it, right? It does. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love, I love turmeric. I think it's such a gorgeous flavor and the color is, I mean, there's nothing better. It's having a moment right now. Don't you think? Like, oh yeah. And like, rightly so. It's it's special. It is special. I'm glad it's, I'm glad it's getting, uh, it's stay in the sun for sure. So. I think, especially since you're in LA, I mean, maybe just play around with it. It's just an idea. It might be a little hard for other people to get, but it would be, might be neat to see what you would do with the pondon leaves that Helen Go was talking about. Too fussy for me. Like oh, I would love bummer. to do it as a one-off, but not yeah, as something not that buck. I would put out there and say, I can confidently say, if you make this, you're going to want to make it again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not yeah. because it's not good, but because it's not, it would be a one-off for me, which I love those. Yeah. And I've actually thought it'd be really fun to do another cookbook. That's just filled with one-offs. Like just check this off your list. Here's a really cool way yeah. to do it, but that's not this one. Book number two, Pond on Leaves. Book number two. I, I did see <laughs> a grocery store that I, I was like peering through the window. There's this, this Asian grocery store that's in a mall here. And I was peering through the windows. I had my kids with me and I was like, I think I can go there and get the Pond on Leaves. But because uh, I want to try. I want to try. Her yeah, little, me too. Little treats. Anyway. Well, we have lots to do this episode. And 
we'll keep it a surprise what's next no so we're back for some listener questions and we have to thank you all for the whole season giving us such great questions to ask our guests and now to ask each other we're so excited to do this you guys have spoiled us. It makes every episode so special to have other people's voices involved. We really, really appreciate it. And it makes it feel more like a community, which it is, but then it just it's just more real. So our first question is from Carlos Marquina910. What did you take to your first audition of the Great American Baking Show? And I know we chatted about this, but it'd be fun just to highlight some of the things that we took. Sure. Let's do it. So we each had to take three bakes with us, which I took on a car journey. I think you took on a plane journey, right? Yep. With yeah. Some dry ice. So, uh, you had to take one sweet, one savory, and then we all got the same bread recipe, which was basically a list of ingredients. And then you just make the best loaf of bread you could from those ingredients. So a loaf of bread, a sweet bake, a savory bake. Uh, what, what's one that I want to highlight? I would say my sweet bake. So I took a peanut butter and jelly babka. So, you know, like a babka, you make the two rolls and then kind of, um, rope them together. So one of them was filled with a peanut butter filling. And then the other one was filled with a jelly filling that I made with freeze dried strawberries and then topped with a crumb. I was super proud of it. And the judges really liked it. Um, I think one of the judges said that the, the, the fruit part looked a bit like dried meat going through. Oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. But she's, she said when she tasted it, she thought it was really delicious. And, and you know, it was, it was a great babka. I was really proud of it. I practiced like a maniac to make that thing. <laughs> Sounds so delicious. What about you, sir? Mine was also, my favorite was my sweet bake. And at that time, I was super obsessed with um, entremets. And so it was pretty ballsy, but I had a frozen entremet that I took on the plane in a bag of dry ice and it all made it to LA just fine. And then I rented an apartment where I did the glazing and the garnishing and it came to room temperature just in time for the judges to eat it. Like I had timed everything like a crazy person, but it was flavors. Um, of, there was a passion fruit jelly, a coconut and mint, like Madeline sponge cake. There was some shortbread. There was like caramel layer. There was a raspberry and white chocolate mousse. And then it was glazed in this beautiful, like kind of pink glaze and then some white chocolate. Oh my gosh. It was ridiculous when I talk about it, but it was delicious. And they were like, no one had brought anything like that to the audition, you know, it's done with a lot of gelatin work. And so they thought that was pretty cool. Truly spectacular. I love it. I was proud. Nerve I like that we just talked about a second ago about like being true to yourself. And, and like, for me, it's very important to stick with the flavors that I really, really crave and I love. And, and way back then I was making peanut butter and jelly babka. And then I said, you're naturally more fancy than me. And then you <laughs> burst out with this entremet story. So <sighs> proof, proof people. <laughs> It's you're funny royalty though, I, gonna... somewhere in there. There's royalty <laughs> in your line. Oh, you're so sweet. It's funny though. I, I still like the idea of an entremet, but I don't have the motivation to make them anymore. It just takes so much time and patience. Um, but that's another topic. It's probably a mood. I feel like you'll come back to it. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. There, I mean, it's, I'll say yes. At least long enough to make one for me sometime. 
Yeah, that'd be fun to do it together and enjoy one together and talk about no, it. No, I didn't say do it together. I said make one for me. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing the work, man. Okay, next question. What, oh my gosh, this is funny. I'm reading these off of my phone as, as we go. So from Nick Bryan, what type of bake would you best describe your level of disappointment with the Game of Thrones finale? Do you watch Game of Thrones? I'm obsessed, Nick. Obsessed. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you can answer this. I don't watch. I've never watched it. Oh, good for you because it's so amazing. And then I think I'm in the camp of people who are a bit disappointed by the finale. I mean, I guess if that's the way it's going, cool. But they just didn't sell it enough. There wasn't enough storytelling. So he wants to know what bake I would make based on my disappointment. Yeah. What type of bake would you best describe your level of disappointment? I mean, when I think of that show, I always want to make lemon cakes because that's Sansa's favorite dessert. And that's the only dessert they've ever really talked about on the show that I can think of. So maybe, I don't know, a sad lemon cake. Can lemon cakes be sad? Like a really (laughs) sad lemon cake. That's really funny. How would you make a lemon cake sad? Because it's so bright and sunny. I would just make it without the lemon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's really funny. Okay, I love that idea. Okay, from Vilma Pacheco or Pacheco if you're Portuguese. How your bake how has your baking grown over the past year and what your, what will be your focus in the next year? Interesting. I think I'm forever honing my identity as a baker and I change a lot as a person. Like I'll look at pictures of me sometimes even from six months ago and definitely from any like larger amount of time, like five years ago. And I'm like, I'm not that person anymore. I always joke with my husband. I'm like, you get to have so many different wives because I'm forever changing. So I, I feel like my, my baking identity has changed a bit. I think part because of working on the cake book, but then also just understanding a bit more what I want out of baking. It's not so much that I've changed like technique or anything like that, but more just kind of understanding what bakes mean the most to me and trying to execute those in a really, at a really high level, like just, just really, really dial in and do an excellent job with what, what I care about and, and not focusing so much on what's going to like what it's going to get me. If that makes sense. Like I think after the show and it's been a while, but after the show, I felt an obligation to kind of like live up to something. And in a way it like, like made me almost lose myself for a bit in baking. And I feel like the past year I've really come into making the things that I love. Like I, I posted rice crispy treats the other day on Instagram and I was like, you know, like there's nothing fancy about this, but I love them. Like I get really excited about a delicious rice crispy treat. So screw it. That's what I'm going to put out there. If that's what I love. And I, I just think I've gained some confidence over the last year. What about you? How has your baking changed? It's very similar as you would expect. You and I parallel each other quite a bit. My life this year has really revolved around continuing to work on my book recipes and to start teaching baking classes. So that's doing recipes over and over. And that's so different than my baking life was last year and especially the year before. And 
all the years before that because I was always trying new things. So there really is a magic that comes from refining a recipe and then teaching it. Oh my gosh, when you have to answer questions and explain why things work and don't work, you really, really get to know a recipe intimately. And I think that is really special. It's really special. And I, and as boring as it might sound to some of you, I encourage you to take a couple and recipes that you love and just kind of do them over and over and see, see what happens. It's a special experience. I really, uh, yeah, I second that emotion there. What is your favorite or it's from Kelly Cardos, K E L L Y K A R D O S. What is your favorite go-to not too sweet buttercream frosting? I feel like any of the meringue base are really easy to cut back the sugar, cut back on the sugar, either. I mean, you have to be careful on actually cutting back the sugar, but what I mean is you could add more or less butter. So maybe find a recipe that, or test some recipes, you know, with an amount of sugar that's good for the meringue, like the meringue is still stable and then fool around with how much butter you use. But of course, the more butter you use, the firmer the buttercream is going to be. It'll have a less melting texture, but that's what I would say. But you're the buttercream queen in my my land. What, what do you say? <laughs> you're so sweet. Uh, I would say either French buttercream or German buttercream, one that I'm new that's to thanks to Cloudy Kitchen. Yeah, just because they, they have that higher level of fat that's not just from the butter. The but There's still loads of butter in there, but the German buttercream is, is like a pastry cream with butter added. So I feel like it's more of like this really decadent custard almost, which, which is not going to be as sweet as certainly not like an American buttercream and then French buttercream in the same way using egg yolks. But like you said, in that meringue type technique, uh, that's definitely going to help you not highlight the sweetness as much. Great question. I erase my answer German all the way. I think that's, that's a brilliant, brilliant option. Let's, let's do it. German is the way to go. There we go. It's official. (laughs) So the next question is from my mom. How cute. I love it. It's, um, she, her handle is Bill's Julie Duarte. And she wants to know what does it feel like to have such artistic ability and to be able to give it to, and to be able to give expression to it. That's a great one for you. Oh, long sigh. Um, it's everything good and everything bad. Uh, sometimes it feels like this wonderful thing that I'm excited to, to get out and it's like the highest high. And other times it feels like a poison that's torturing me. Um, so yeah, so being creative is something I treasure a lot and it's, it's great to be able to get it out with baking and, and to share it. It means a lot to me. Um, that's a tough question for me to answer. Just be, it's, it's a great question. Uh, ask it again so I can think about it for a second. What does it feel like to have such artistic ability and to be able to give expression to it? As you read it the second time, I also think I feel really strongly that everyone has artistic ability I was talking to somebody recently about um, just like creativity and, and using it. And you see a lot of people say like creativity is a muscle. I totally agree with that. And then also so this, this person I was talking to, she had taken a writing class and not because she wanted to become a writer, but just 
she was really passionate about her journaling and thought this will help me to be uh, a little more regimented and, and, and make sure she really would stick to it. And she said, as she took the class, cause she kept thinking, I'm not a writer. These people are writers, but she realized that the people who were taking the class that while they did have some natural ability with writing more than that, what made them a writer was that they worked at it. And I'm sure you know this from music or anything else. It's like to say that you're a pianist, it's, it's not like you, you may have some natural ability. You may have a unique unique path and and inclination to that. But the people who can play the piano really well are the people who have worked at it. So I I would say that's kind of like a sidestep to the question, but it's just really important for me always to share. Like if you think, Oh, this person's creative, I'm not creative. You most definitely are. And if it's important to you, just, just do it, do it over and over and over, even when it's scary and when you're not in the mood. And if you keep doing it, I'm pretty sure you'll blow your mind. Agreed. Agreed. And if you need some guidance, I've been reading a book called The Artist's Way, and I forget who it's by. It's a very famous book. But that can definitely help you find your artistic creative path. If you know, like I completely agree with you, it's in within everyone. Um, But if you need some guidance, that's a great book. I just wrote it down. (laughs) So from Tiff Aaron, Tiff underscore Aaron. Hi, Tiff. Hi, Tiffany. Uh, she wants to know baking inspirations and where do you see yourself baking wise in five years? That's interesting. The cinnamon. Hi, Majed. He wants to know where we see ourselves in two years. So two in and how five. many years did you say? Two. In two. Oh, I like that. So two and five. Okay. You first. Oh gosh. <laughs> hoping you'd go. <laughs> I had to go first with your mom's question, which I, I can honestly I rattle know. on about for like the rest of the day. So we could have an whole episode dedicated you, to yeah. let's do it. Okay. So in two years, I really feel like my, that should be when my book is done. If I, if everything goes as I'm hoping it goes. So yeah, holding my book, that would be amazing in two years. And, um, also, I think within five, I've really made a conscious effort or I am making an effort to be more connected to my local community. What's great about being on the show was that it connected us to a great audience all around the world. So my, you know, my following, the people I interact with are from everywhere. But I've been really wanting to be more connected to my local community here in Sacramento and in the California area. And that's been happening. And that's... I envision myself more part of the food scene here. I don't know what that looks like. For instance, this month, I'm going to do my first pop-up in Sacramento. I'm really excited about that. So we'll see where it all goes. And I've never wanted to drive this journey with food to a specific destination like I did with my musical life. So I'm just collaborating with whatever comes and kind of go where I feel led. And so I love that sense of surprise of what what's going to happen next if if i do my part what what's going to come from the universe or wherever you think that is what about you i'm really excited i'm excited to see where you're at in five years i love like thinking about markers like that like the transformation and different things so and i know we'll still be friends so i will find out and hopefully we'll still be doing flower hour we'll report it right here so that would be great <laughs> me too oh. 
so two years, five years. I mean, the first thing that pops in my mind is I have no earthly idea. I don't have <laughs> a, a, an agenda. It, you know, I'm, I am not the kind of person to say, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. Like sometimes I have big ideas and I get really excited about things and sometimes I see them through and sometimes I don't. And I'm really okay with that. For me, it's all about the experiences. So I just hope I'm having really great experiences still and hopefully being generous with whatever I'm doing. I I really appreciate the podcast because it's a place to kind of share and, and, and because it is such a lonely hobby sometimes or job, whatever it is for, for you that's listening, it's nice to connect in this way. So I hope whether it's through flower hour or teaching classes that there's, I mean, it's kind of the same as your answer, like connecting with the community of baking, maybe local, maybe not for me. I'm okay either way. Just, I just hope I'm still having cool experiences and connecting with people. And I'm sure I will because baking is that kind of thing. And it's delicious. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I'm not, I'm not gaining weight five years from now. It's like a forever battle. I'm going, Oh Lord, I hope five years from now I'm at least the same size. (laughs) That's my real honest answers. I hope I'm not, not on a runaway weight gaining train five years from now. (laughs) I second that wholeheartedly. (laughs) But I hope I get to eat all the delicious food that I ever, ever wanted to. So yeah, it's a balance. All All right. The jam lab would like to know, she is so excited for our books. When are they releasing? Can we talk more about it? Oh, okay. Every time I like one of us has to go first, we're mad about it. Okay. I'll go first. (laughs) So my book, you guys know, I'm the driver of this thing. Like I am the boss in every single possible way. So it's going to come out whenever I get it done. And I would really like that to be in the season of fall. The fall is a really important season for me. I think it's a great time to give gifts. I think this is going to be the kind of book that would be a nice present for somebody. So in my mind, it's going to come out in the season of fall. And the reason I don't say this fall or that fall is honestly, it depends on how much I can do this summer. I think there's the slight possibility I could have it done by this fall, um, which would be like really, really soon. It just kind of depends on how our summer shakes out because I have my kids full time in the summer. So if Sometimes they're very independent and I can, you know, break a cake up into components. And if I could do say two cakes per week, which sounds like nothing, but to make it and then do all the typing and the photographing and then the layout in the book is, is kind of a different beast. So maybe this fall, but if not this fall, then I will push it to next fall. That's my plan. What about you? So I have exciting news to share in that I just signed with an agent. So I'm really, really thrilled. That's been, it's taken me quite a long time to find an agent. And if you don't have a huge following, and here's the thing, if you're thinking about making a cookbook and you want to go the traditional route, there are, there's never enough followers. I mean, some people will say there are markers of like, you need 50,000, you need a hundred thousand, but a publisher will always say there's never enough because for them, followers turn into dollar signs. So I was really lucky to find an agent who owns her own firm in New York City. 
And I like to say New York City because it sounds so fancy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she really handpicks her projects based on the topic. And she fell in love with the idea of Portugal, the idea of uh, dessert culture based around egg yolks and the egg and um, the history and the fact that it's, it's, you know, a Western European country that's basically unknown and overlooked by most other countries. It's this like hidden gem of culinary marvels. And she believes in me as being the ambassador, the, the person who's going to evangelize for that, that dessert culture. And she gets it. And that's the cool thing. And when you find an agent that's right for you is they are on your team and they believe in you. And so all of a sudden, all my doubts are gone because she's like, no, no, don't stop. Just we are going to show them exactly why this topic is perfect for now and why you're the perfect person. And she's like, my job is to make sure that they understand that they can sell this book. Um, and so I give her all that information and she, she makes it look really beautiful in a package. And then I'm like, what, where do you see this book and even ending up? And she's like, we're going to go to the top publishers. We're just, we're going to go for it. So why I say all that is, is it's easy when you have a project and maybe you're not Ina Garten or one of these, you know, big celebrities to kind of put limitations on your dreams and think, okay, I, maybe it's okay if I just go this direction because that's not that big. And I really think I want to challenge myself. And maybe this is a, another answer to the previous questions is to, to think as big as possible and not limit myself. And the fact that she's not limiting my book just because I have a small, smallish Instagram following to like, Oh, we can only approach these publishers. She's like, no, we're going to go as big as possible and who knows what will happen. And so that's my mindset now is I'm just going to think giant, super giant and who knows what's going to happen. And, and, um, so it's really, really, really exciting to be at this point of the stage. And she's where what I, what's happening now is I kind of have to redo my proposal. And this is what the publishers get and what they use to make their decision with her recommendations. And it's just really focused, really succinct. And it's about like why this is going to be an amazing book. And so um, it's been really fun to write and it's really triggered a lot of creativity and it's all the book's becoming more and more about stories. My agent says, and it's true, you can Google almost any recipe now. Mm -hmm. So why, what's the point of someone buying a book when they can, I mean, you really can most Portuguese recipes, especially if you speak Portuguese, or you can read it or you have Google translate, you can figure it out. So the, it's really now about the stories of, um, of my family, the stories of my travels there, the stories about the history behind these things. And I think, what's come up a lot is the idea of immigration. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm the great grandson of this country, but what's, so why me though? Um, so it becomes a conversation of like, why do I feel drawn to the country of my heritage? And then it's interesting to talk to people who are immigrants here about their connection to the recipes and to their homeland. And then the second generation and everyone has a different feeling towards that. And then also kind of my feeling of like, I don't feel completely American, but then when I'm in Portugal, I don't feel completely Portuguese and what there's a tension there that I think is really beautiful. So that I kind of, that's going to get explored in the book. And I, I think that's, that's unique. That's different. And I'm, I'm kind of proud of that direction. I'm so excited. It's, it's going in that story direction, of course, still with recipes Yes. as well, but I, I'm really excited about that. I think that 
your stories are so interesting and, and relatable. Like we talked about that with David late about like some of his similar kind of like connected to Portugal, but then he's here. And, and I, th- I think that those stories are so relatable and interesting and it's just going to be such a beautiful book. I can't wait. Thank you. I'm excited. Oh, and when, when, when can we expect it? Like, like you, it's kind of up there because out up there, out there. I am working as hard as I can on this proposal, but I'm the type of writer that I have to write in a giant spurt and then kind of rest and then come back to it. And it's kind of a rhythm that I have, I've learned with my writing. So once it's done, I mean, it'll be, that proposal will be done, I mean, within the next month or so, then she, per, she uh, approaches publishers. I don't know, that, that could take an indeterminate amount of time just to make a deal. Once a deal is struck, generally you have a year deadline to finish the manuscript so let's say let's say somehow by the end of the summer i get a deal so then the next summer my book would get turned in and then they could take up to a year for us to shoot and actually do the printing but that depends on the publisher i'm sure so that's a bit flexible so we're looking at another two years maybe less maybe more but we'll say 2021 ish (laughs) ish it'll be worth it 100 (laughs) percent 100%. Uh, Okay, next question from Paige Opentacles. I don't know. Open Tackles? Paige, O-P-E-N-T-A-C-L-E-S. Her question is, do you have any tips on incorporating meringue into decorations for layer cakes? Boom, that's your kind of question. Oh, and it's so yours, too. I think about you every time I do it. Well, I love a good shard. So that means you just take either a Swiss or a f- Italian meringue. You, s- you spread it thinly on a um, silk pat's really the, the easiest way to go because it's got some weight. If you did it on a parchment, the parchment's going to buckle quite a bit. And then you can sprinkle that with stuff, whatever kind of stuff you like, freeze-dried fruit, nuts, coconut, and you bake that until it's hard. And then you can break off shards and go to town decorating your cake of course you can do piped meringues which you have shown i think you've posted them on instagram some of your meringue cakes and like oh took my breath away they're so good so good so what are some of your ideas yeah the one you're talking about i was really proud of that's for the book it's going to be with crushed meringues and and they have a little bit of blue in them so they almost look like crushed seashells or tiles or, or something like that that's a really approachable way so you could pipe any shape that you want bake up the meringue cookies so you just use your your basic meringue cookie recipe and then uh just kind of gently collapse the cookies between your fingers which is so pleasant to do and just stick them all over your cake i would say if you're incorporating meringues into a cake and you want the meringues to stick on the side, it's great if you use a meringue-based buttercream or work really fast with an American buttercream because that crust, you know, happens. Or keep a piping bag handy if it's American buttercream and use it as a glue. So you might have to pipe a little bit, you know, just a tiny bit on the back of your meringue and then stick it on. Otherwise, you may stick them on and you think, oh, this looks great, and then later they've toppled off. So just be really careful with that. And then, of course, um, Concord cake, right? which you've done. And I love that kind of piping the meringues in tubes, and then you break them up and 
There's a million different ways you could stick those on. And then I'm thinking about when we had Heather Wong Scudabaker on and she talked about, you could make a colored meringue and then put it, bake it. So it becomes crunchy, put it in the food processor, blitz it to a powder and then cover your cake with that. I still haven't done that or use that for any dessert for that matter, just as a colored sweet powder. I haven't done that yet, but I have it on a list of like, I really, really need to make this happen because it just sounds so fun. Yeah, I've been dying. I've been thinking about it too, and in particular to coat the outside of um, donuts or like especially Portuguese donuts. Um, yeah, uh, you know, with instead of sugar, I think that would be yes. really cool. Such a great idea. I feel like the taste would be nice, and and it, it's definitely in my line of like it's not overly fussy. The work would would yeah. pay off as far as like the effort. So um, I'm into it. Anna Silva, 18301, also wants a book update. Thank you so much for supporting our book process. And then, so sweet. And the Cineman, he also wants to know, what's our resolutions for the second half of 2019? Our resolutions? Cineman. I have to make a mid-year resolution, dude. Okay, I can do it. (laughs) We love you, Cineman, for inspiring and challenging us. Uh, second half of the year resolution. I mean, the, the book stuff is keeping me pretty busy. And one thing I haven't talked about on this episode is the cake classes that I'm doing. Definitely keeping those up. Uh, they are awesome. I love doing those classes. It's kind of like the perfect marrying of art and creativity and baking for me, it's, it's a really nice experience. And I think people enjoy the class. So continuing to do those, I know it's kind of a blah resolution, just like continuing, continuing, but sometimes continuing is, is really tough. Like I know everybody has challenges. My own are, are trying to manage, you know, being the best mom I can be being the best wife I can be. It's really if I feel like those things are slipping, everything just becomes a big ball of fire. It's horrible. And, and I'm, I'm just not happy in my work. So I, if I can keep those things in, in check, that's why I say continuing sometimes. Cause just for me, every time I do a baking class, it, I only do things like that if everything else is kind of handled. And so when that's happening, it means I'm doing okay. So to continue means like I'm doing okay. That's a, that's kind of like my measurement. So there's my resolution is like, keep doing okay. (laughs) I mean, I don't think there's any resolution better than that. What about you? So for me, it would be now. So I don't know if all of you know, but I've changed my schedule quite a bit. So I have more, more time um, to focus on food stuff, which is really, really great. One of them is to share more recipes, um, either Portuguese or Portuguese-inspired recipes, and just things that I've created over the years that I that I feel good about. That sounds weird, but I'm going with it. And, Makes sense to me. And then to continue my classes, continue continue to grow them. I've I've just created some new Portuguese-themed baking classes, so it's fun to get those on the road. And I've um, done some classes at other people's places. Like I went to a Portuguese hall in Vallejo to do a class and that was really fun to connect with another community. So I think for me, it's again, getting more connected with my local communities um, and baking with people. 
I love that. Great resolution. I have a question from Displaced Housewife. Hi, Rebecca. Uh, we miss what you. are you guys up to professionally besides the podcast? Yeah, definitely the book, as we've talked about. My classes. Both of us have classes. And yes, I'd like to share more recipes. And is there anything else? Um, I think that's it. My little appearance on Maria Lawton's Portuguese Table um, television show for PBS is finally going to get aired on the West Coast very soon. So that's exciting. And I, oh, and then I did a little video with David late on, um, he's so sweet. He invited me to bake a couple of my Portuguese recipes. Well, they're not mine. I'm just the ambassador for them. They're right. They're Portugal's recipes <laughs> on his, um, on his platform. So that's coming up too. I'm so glad you just brought that up too. Cause some reason it triggered in my mind. We're, we're both, we both have interviews this week with bake from scratch. That's right. That yeah, lovely, so that's lovely exciting. Magazine. Yeah, they've yes. started a baking podcast. You guys should definitely check it out. And um, they're going to interview each of us individually about our topics. So we have that going on, which is really exciting. And we cannot get enough of baking podcasts. So I'm really excited that they are producing this. And everything they bring to the baking world is I mean, it's, it's just, they have a really special, uh, place in my heart as far as what they contribute to this community. So I'm thrilled to be on the podcast. So there's, there's that, that's something we haven't mentioned before. Um, and then I would just say that I am completely, uh, not professional. So, uh, <laughs> as far as what do I have going on professionally? Um, uh, the reason I say that is because, I, I have a major push pull with, with me because sometimes I say I am a work from home mom. Sometimes I say I'm a stay at home mom. And I think that I approach, I've kind of decided with, with baking and with painting and with whatever it is that I'm doing at this point in my life, just because of the demands of, of my family and, and kind of what I want to be, you know, for my kids while they're this particular age is I've had to define it as a hobby in my mind. What I do, I, I do, I hope with the utmost professionalism, you know, I take the podcast very seriously and, and the things that I do, but I've really categorized it recently as a, as a hobby in my mind, because I'm the kind of person who likes to go all out and it's really frustrating for me when I think of this as my job to not be able to give it my all. And I end up resenting what is most important to me, which is, is my family and, and trying to make sure that I take care of them. My husband's gone a lot. And so I'm the person that, that kind of like anchors this household and I, I love that and I don't ever want to resent it. So that's kind of like a long answer to that question. But I would say, what am I doing professionally? I'd say absolutely nothing because everything for me is, is a passion project right now that I do try to be professional about, but I, I changed my status. Even on Instagram, I changed it from a business profile to a personal profile just because I don't want to log on and feel like I could be doing more and I, I'm a failure in my job when I'm actually approaching it as a hobby. And at some point, if I want to approach it as a profession, then, um, 
I'm going to hit it so freaking hard. The world won't know what hit it, but right now it's, it's, it is a, a deeply passionate project. So I'm just going to say that. I'm glad you said all that because it's important for people to hear it. <laughs> We're all so different and food can be a part of anyone's life in so many different ways. And it's important to know that, to know there's a spectrum of how it can work and how exactly what you said. Well said. And oh, well, thank you. And ebb and flow because yeah, that's not to say that next year, the needs of my family will change. Um, my son's son's uh, program at school that, that he's in this year is only half day. And when we lived in Atlanta, it was full day, but what he qualifies for here is different. And so it really, it just changed the amount of time I could give to things. So absolutely, you know, and as that changes, maybe, you know, who knows, I might shift back to business. <laughs> we'll see. So I have a question from T J M A N N A underscore love underscore life. Croissant topic would love to hear a conversation about them unless I missed it already. And my dear, you have not missed it. It is something we have not dove into dove. Oh gosh. What are the verbs for that word? We have not talked about it. Dive in, dove in, dove in. (laughs) (laughs) But it's something we are honestly, thanks to your, your prodding considering for next season. So thank you for that. Um, I did take croissants to my, I'm, I'm just answering the question. Sorry. <laughs> Do it. I love it. I did take croissants to my um, audition for the great American baking show. Um, so I dove into them pretty hardcore for that period of time. And I bought Colette Christian's craftsy class all about croissants and it served me really well. It was a Ooh, great place a great to start answer. for a beginner. I tried before that using tartines croissant recipe and you know, I'll, you should all know by now how much I love them, but their recipe was not great. And it's probably just because I was a beginner. Maybe if you have some croissant knowledge, you'll rock that recipe just fine. But Colette Christensen's recipe and explanation was just perfection. And I ended up even making a compound butter with linguiça, Portuguese sausage and garlic and spices. And um, then even rolled cheese and um, some Portuguese pork into it. So she, she got me that good where I could kind of start messing with the recipe. So that, that made me happy. Um, but this day and age, there are so many chefs doing amazing things with croissants. So I think if you, um, if you, if you're not patient wait for us to do an episode, dive into all these wonderful chefs that are, that are teaching croissants. Awesome. I think that's a great answer. And, and yeah, I hope we have an episode about it. In season three, it's on the list for sure. So great question. Uh, Okay, this is one I think that you are uniquely suited to answer. So Aaron Stubblefield Photo would like to know uh, information about using sugar as pie weights and ideas for the sugar after it's baked. I love that pie weight because it's something I have on hand and then it's reusable. I store it in a separate container, toasted sugar, and the more you use it, the more toasty it gets. And honestly, I haven't gotten it. Honestly, I haven't gotten it super toasty yet because I end up just using it for whatever reason. But I think it's gorgeous in buttercreams, especially if you're doing like a vanilla buttercream, because the t- the flavor isn't super strong. It just gives an added complexity. So anywhere that you're doing something that's pretty neutral, it can bring a really nice subtlety. Other than that, you can just use it like any everyday sugar. So if I'm out of normal sugar, the toasted sugar is going into whatever I'm baking. 
So the toasted sugar, like if you used it in a buttercream, does it end up having, it's not like a full caramel buttercream flavor. It's just Correct. a slightly more complex vanilla type situation. Yeah, okay. Exactly. It's very, and also I'm sure it depends on how toasted you get yours. Um, I might have only, I've used them maybe like two toastings mm-hmm. and it's very nice and subtle, super subtle. Like uh, you, you you and I would pick it up, but maybe someone else would be like, that's a great vanilla buttercream. They wouldn't know, like, hey, there's something caramely going on. Okay. Okay. Good to know, because I still haven't done that, but that's something I would really, really like to try. Yeah, it's it's a very efficient way to to use for pie weights. So this is my last question, and it's from, again, TJ Mana underscore, underscraft, underscore love, underscore life. How does it feel for you and Amanda to have helped so many people have confidence within and through their baking? That's a great question. I'd say, oh my goodness, have we? <laughs> I would say that's fantastic. The notes that we get mean the world. How does it feel? I mean, it feels fantastic. And it, it's what drives us to keep recording this. I mean, we would chat anyway. Of course, exactly. you know, cause we're friends, we would be talking about whatever, but I think that, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is precisely why we do this. Cause I hope that people get something out of it for sure. I, I mean, I'm not shy one-on-one like this, but as a person and just like putting myself out there often, I'm, I'm really, really, really shy and but, but when I think something's important, I, I, I do it even though it's painful. Like I've said before, I don't like to listen to the episodes. I feel very upset when I do. So, uh, it's, it's challenging for me, but so it feels, it feels amazing. It feels amazing. The fact that what we're going through and what, who we talk to and what we learn can be of help to other people. I mean, it's, this is a big part of why you and I are are up to doing this besides just getting to chat with each other. Okay. So toe underscore the underscore friends obsession wants to know tips for making patisserie style desserts and cookbooks. Wow. This could be a whole other episode and funny. You should ask because we are planning on having a patisserie chef style episode next season where we can dive into these topics. Um, favorite books. I love the Pierre, Pierre Hermé patisserie book. I also have some of the Culinary Institute of America's patisserie textbooks, like the really fancy giant ones. Those are really cool. And Bouchon, that's, that's a fun one, um, by Thomas Keller and his pastry chef. And I'm trying to think, oh, Kirsten Tibbles, she's the chef in Australia of the Savour School. She has fantastic books. Um, oh, Bashur, Antonio Bashur. I'm not sure mm. if I'm saying his name right. He is incredible. His books are very much for a very experienced baker. It's a, literally a list of ingredients, and it's like, make the jelly, make the creme patisserie, make the, make the cake assemble, freeze, glaze. So you have to know how to do the components. And if only we had Michael from our season on to answer this question for you more in depthly, he could give you a whole roster of books. That would be wonderful. 
Yeah, for sure. Seek him out on Instagram because I'm sure it's like so his wheelhouse. He'd be excited to share. Uh, Yeah, we're going to have an episode on it. Tips for making them. I want to give a tip so bad because I'm just like, I I hate leaving people hanging. And, And the thing that's coming to mind is just I feel like with patisserie style desserts, like so many of them are, are component based. And yes. so don't be afraid to break things down by component. Don't feel like you have to try to make, you know, if there's five components, you don't have to have them all going at one time, make one, figure out what can be put in the fridge for a day or two or whatever, like break it out. Because I feel like if you are trying something for the first time, trying to multitask recipes is a recipe for disaster. So that would be a quick tip and then yeah a whole episode coming about it yeah mise en place and yes and just not just the ingredients but like amanda said in the scheduling of the whole dessert and i know michael will even create an outline after he's read through dessert of like when certain things are happening especially if they're components so mise en place the whole situation excellent Okay, so last question is from TJ Mana underscore love underscore life. And they would like to know, is it still Swiss meringue buttercream if palm sugar is used instead of regular? And is um, is it still Swiss meringue buttercream if pasteurized eggs replace the heating? I'm not the boss of buttercreams, but I would say yes. I would say definitely with the sugar swap. I mean, I feel like you can swap in any sugar that, you know, is, is going to work in, in the recipe. And I would still call it Swiss meringue buttercream, but I'm not big on labels. So, you know, I would call it whatever I wanted to call it. And then as far as the pasteurized eggs uh, replacing the heating, I've never done that. I, I just always cook them. So I'm not sure how that would go. I'm assuming it would be fine. I have heard a recipe, and I'd really like to try this before. This is kind of separate, but the same. I read online. I can't remember whose site it was on, but there's someone out there. You know how like when you make a Swiss meringue buttercream or a Thai meringue, so you heat it, and then you make a meringue, and then when you add the butter because fat and meringue are not friends. It deflates the meringue and then you end up creating this stabilized buttercream, right? So someone online, I read their recipe and they just skipped the whole meringue part completely. They basically made the egg white and sugar mixture and they, their case was that there's no point in making the meringue because all it is is adding air to it and then you deflate it and then they added butter. And I was really curious about that. Have you ever heard about this? No, but that is fascinating. I mean, it kind of makes sense, except I'm sure some of the air remains. Like, I feel like it doesn't deflate yeah. completely, but I want to try it. I'm going to try it. Maybe I'll do like, this is the kind of stuff I can do in the summer when my kids are around because it's, you know, I don't have to worry so much about photographing it and and trying to be really meticulous about writing the steps. But I'm like, maybe I could do a side by side where I make one the traditional way and I make one where I don't bother whipping it up and then just mix butter in and see what happens. Oh, that'll be, I can't wait to see that. That'll be fun. Okay. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. So, and we have a question from one lettered Caroline, any ways to bake on a budget, including ingredients and tools slash utensils. I love this question. I love this question. I'm one of those 
persons, people who love to kind of keep an eye on where, what prices are in like all the grocery stores. And so I kind of know like, this is where I buy almond meal because that stuff's expensive. This is where I buy sugar. This is where I buy flour. And I kind of know, you know what I'm saying? I don't have a Costco membership. I've heard that's a great place to get things if you can handle the bulk, but I will go to a place called Spartan Final and buy 25 pound bags of sugar or flour because buying that sort of size, um, can really be helpful. Um, but yeah, I think kind of really doing your due diligence of keeping track of what price things are and knowing where to buy them. What about you? I, so because I'm often shopping with my kids, we, we pretty much go to our closest grocery store and I get most everything there unless it's something that I can get online or delivered very, like I pretty much go to one store and I just kind of like price compare there. As far as splurging on ingredients, I definitely splurge on things that are finishings, especially if they're not cooked. So like an American buttercream, if the flavor is going to be vanilla, I try to use a really high quality vanilla, like a, a vanilla bean paste or straight from the vanilla bean versus an extract. But I'm all about the extract if it's being baked because truly I don't notice much of a flavor difference, if any at all, like in a cake to use vanilla bean versus vanilla extract, a good one. Now we're talking real, not, um, imitation, but so I, I try to save money with things like that. And then again, with fish finishings, I'll, I'll buy a really high quality chocolate for a ganache. That's not going to be baked. It's, it's the star of it. But then other ingredients, like I don't buy a lot of fancy flour. I, I mean, it's a great flour, but I use gold metal just because sometimes other flat flours that are more high end, like for a bread, maybe because that, again, you're highlighting yeah, that ingredient. Right, different. It's different. But for a cake, I just need something with the right protein content and something that is a quality flour, but it doesn't have to be expensive. So I don't go all out there. Granulated sugar. I buy store brand granulated sugar. Me too. Save Me money too. there. Um, Cause I, I, I haven't noticed a huge difference in, you know, from sugar to sugar uh, with granulated. So I save money where I can on, on those ingredients. And then as far as equipment, I'm super particular about, if I read a recipe and it says, use this, you know, really specific piece of equipment, I'm immediately like, I'm going to get really persnickety. Like, what else am I going to use that for? Where, where am I going to keep it? And how is this going to do it? I'm like, I get, I get really crazy about it. And so like, I use my offset spatula a ton. And the one I use is by Teco. It's like $4 and 62 cents on Amazon. So it's not expensive, but even that it took me forever to buy one. I decorated so many cakes using the backside of a butter knife that I had oh, bent wow. into an offset spatula shape before I would buy that equipment. So I think if there's, if, if you're just like toe dipping into something, if you can find a workaround and not buy special equipment, save your money. If you find out it's your thing, like in the case of me, I make so Great many advice. cakes, it would be insane to not spend $4 on a better tool. But if you're not sure, like, I don't think you have to go all out. Like, you know, if, Oh, you gave a really good tip a while back, like with entreme molds, how you can make your oh, own. Yeah. And so there's, there's workarounds like that. So especially if it's something like an entreme that maybe you want to try and 
it may not be something you make every single day, there might be a way to avoid buying that equipment. So, oh yeah, you don't need all the fancy silicone molds. You can use cake tins and um, so many other workarounds are possible. Oh, I'm glad you said cake tins too. So I use my cake, depending on where you're listening, cake tins, cake pans, for mm-hmm. almost everything. If I'm baking brownies, I put it in a cake pan. I don't, I, I do have a square pan, but I hardly ever pull it out. So again, if you're starting to bake and you're like, which pans do I buy? I think a set of, of light colored metal cake pans, like three of them, you don't have to buy super expensive ones, but three of those, and you can bake just about anything in them. Okay. That concludes our listener questions. Thank you, guys. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. 